You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. prior to Days of Future Past. And we had said that we would be having an issue or an episode, I should say, for this new movie once it came out. We both went to go see it as soon as it came out. And now that we've had a little bit of time to gather our thoughts, here we are. And we're going to be spoiling everything. So if you haven't seen it and you don't know what the story is about, well, you have been warned. Now, X-Men Days of Future Past is a return to director Brian Singer, and that makes a big difference. We're going to get into that later on. Now, he was not the original director. However, you can see his influence in how the movie progressed once he got his hands on it. Of course, we've got the regular cast and crew from both the original X-Men as well as the rebooted original crew. There's some wordplay there, but you know what I mean. And the movie so far has been very well received, actually. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a review rating of 92%, which is really high. With And that's with 214 reviews so far. The audience rating is 94%. Now, that I can believe more because people do tend to be less critical when they are when they enjoy an IP, which fans of X-Men do tend to like X-movies, even the bad ones. Now, the Metacritic, this one is a smaller pool of reviewers. There's only 43 reviews for it, so it's got a lower rating of 74. They tend to include a lot of reviewers, too, that are far more snobby, let's just say, highbrow. (laughs) So, of course, a movie like this is going to be poorly reviewed by them. Although, again, the user score on this is very high at 8.6. So, as a whole, we can see the movie has been well-received by both reviewers as well as audiences. Before we get into the actual meat of it, what did you think of it overall? I have a number of issues with as far as you know, continuity and sensible storytelling and so many like logistical issues with the movie, but it doesn't matter because I still <laughs> had so much fun watching it. It was like, well, that doesn't make much sense. I don't care. <laughs> it, it was pulled off well enough that the stuff I didn't like didn't bother me. Now, for the remainder of this episode we're going to try to say whether our issues are with how it pertains to the original comic books or as it pertains to the line of movies so far because there's continuity issues with both of those well i'm i'm completely separating it from the comics so well we are going to actually discuss how it 
compares to the comic book as well. Sure, not, sure, not too saying, too much, but it's it's my one of those personal issues are not because it's different from the comic, right? And I went into it with that same feeling where, and we, we talked about this ever so briefly on Comic Book Informer podcast, the last episode, where I really tried to distance myself from the comic event and just think of this as you know a sequel to the movies. And so we had already established the wealth of continuity issues that there are within the movie alone. If it, that's enough to wrap your head around. You don't need to toss in the comic book on top of that. <laughs> that said, though, when you're watching it, you can't help but bring the comic book into it when there are things that are so grossly mishandled. Now, the biggest of this is with Kitty. Now... This is something that happens right at the beginning of the movie. And while Kitty played a huge role in the comic book series, I shouldn't say series, but the event, because this occurred in two comic books, um, X-Men titles, what was it, 141, 142, I believe. Sounds about right. And this is quite a while back. And it was just a little arc, and from there it kind of bloomed, and we had tie-ins happening all over the place because it was very well received. The comic book is not without its issues as well. However, they did at least try to make sense of certain things. Now, in the movie, what happens is that, again, in the future, which is not that far from our present, initially in the comic books, the future was 2013, which is ironically when they started filming this movie. I thought that was kind of funny. And whereas with this one here, the future happens to be 2023. And then they go back in time 50 years to 73. So it's it's just a, a little bit different in that regard. In that future, it didn't take long for things to go to crap real fast. And the Sentinels were built and the world turned to crap. And then the Sentinels did not only target mutants, but also anyone who carried a mutant gene in them, whether dormant or not, or who could pass that mutant gene on to a child or even a grandchild and then started obliterating them as well. So you wind up with a post-apocalyptic future that is absolutely terrible. So what they decide to do is they decide they're going to send someone back. Now, the prelude to this you see in a fairly cool, well-filmed scene where everybody is getting killed and everything until they reach one spot where Kitty and Bishop are working at sending bishop back well sorry bishop's consciousness back in time early enough that he could warn everybody not to be in a certain location so that they don't all get killed and then basically once that happens they all disappear from that spot so it's it's a nice little setup and it's setting up the idea of sending someone back in time using their consciousness so then intro um Charles and Magneto and I don't know who else was with them at the time. They, they, they get the idea. Wolverine was with them as well. They get the idea that they actually need to go back to the source, which for them is 1973. And what happened then was that Bolivar Trask, who was the head honcho for the development of Sentinels, actually was killed by 
mystique. In so doing, they actually killed her as well and used her DNA to improve the Sentinels. And because of the attack, there was a lot more of the let's just hunt down all mutants mentality that swept across all of the nations. The Sentinels were brought in with this technology to shapeshift and change in order to fight any mutant, essentially. And... Again, they figure if we can go back to that point and stop her from doing this, then we're going to create an alternate future where we don't have to worry about the Sentinels quite as much. Well, I don't think they said that Mystique was killed, merely captured, right? Was she – I thought that these – okay, I could be wrong. Because theoretically this is still – you know, in that timeline and continuity with the original trilogy. So she would have to still be alive. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. So, and, but that's also where I point out one of my biggest, like logical flaws with the film. How does Mystique's DNA allow the Sentinels to gain new powers? Yeah. It's, that's one. Okay. The the, the adaptation part, fine. But where does the metal and the ice and the fire come from? No clue. Although in right. the movie okay. they do try to sell it, it in doesn't that, work. Oh no, it doesn't. But Trask does say <laughs> how she could be the birth of any mutant kind of thing, and the birth of mutants even and that her DNA changes and adapts to everything. So I think they tried to explain it, but it didn't work. You know, this probably would have been a good reason to keep Darwin around from first class. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> that, that would have been a lot better. But anyway, so so they decide that uh, – well, Charles decides that Kitty should send him back and she explains that they only ever send someone back a week or so and that his mind just wouldn't be able to take the shock of being sent back to 73. And this is where, of course, everybody turns to Wolverine and before he even says, well, what if we send somebody who heals? We all know where the story is going. So this is how they rewrote the original story to fit the idea of sending their biggest star as the vehicle back in time. And realistically, the only character that's received any development over the past six movies. Yeah. So because in the story, Kitty gets sent back in time. And she's the one that deals with having to convince the X-Men of what's going on, trying to help with the assassination attempt. Although that assassination attempt was against um, Senator Kelly, actually, who is obviously not around for this because they messed with that so thoroughly in earlier films. But it was Kitty who went back. Now, Kitty was sent back. They did use the same kind of concept in terms of let's send the consciousness back in time but they did it right in the comics were in they had a telepath <laughs> sending the consciousness back this makes sense they introduced a character that was that came to be very important in the x-men canon for for years to come and but she's a powerful telepath so it makes sense so then again i was fully ready to cut that comic book umbilical cord and just enjoy the movie for what it was but then they had the girl who can phase through walls sending somebody's consciousness back it does there's not even 
Somebody should have raised a hand. Yeah, you can't make hey, hey, this Katie, sense. Hey, Katie, haven't seen you in a few years. That's new. Yeah. There's no, there is no way you can explain this at all, at all, at all. There just is. I don't know if they've tried even. They, 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 they completely ignored it. They ignored it during the movie, but I mean afterwards in interviews oh. or whatever. I don't know if somebody said, uh, guys, <laughs> red herring here, like seriously, the girl who phases through walls is sending consciousness back in time. Like, what is she phasing them back? Like, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's been like the number one complaint in every review I've seen and no, no response whatsoever. Yeah. So, because Just burying their head in their sands, it, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. We made a billion dollars. Yeah, happened. really. See, this is one of those where, again, I was ready to accept Wolverine going back in time instead of Kitty because he has much more of a presence in the movies. They can capitalize on it. And frankly, he's a good actor. He's fun to watch on screen. So to see the dynamic of him interacting with both teams, especially seeing as he is in the movie continuity, the only one that draws them all together as well throughout the movies. Not to mention most of the rest of them weren't born in 73. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, it fits. I was willing to do that. But for Christ's sakes, have a telepath send him back. Yeah, not it, the, it would not have been that difficult. Like, Charles was right there. <laughs> he wasn't busy. <laughs> it was... Oh. So, yeah. He spent the entire movie staring at Wolverine's body. Yeah, and Kitty spent the entire movie hunched over Wolverine, concentrating, bleeding from one arm. Like, and then that's the other thing, too. Like, this takes place in the not-so-distant future. But Wolverine, the only person who cannot age, is the only one that they tried to age with just a touch of little white hairs at the temple. Why is the only one that can't age the only one that's showing age? Because everybody else looks exactly the same. You could tell they tried to put some makeup on Ellen Page to make her look older, but I don't think there's anything you can do to Ellen Page to make her look older. It's You know what's funny is that, and, and I blame you partially for this. Oh, cool. Is... We just finished watching all of the face-off seasons. <laughs> so we're completely caught up now, and we've seen them all. And what face-off has done is now whenever we watch a movie, we are looking at how everything is done, and it's like we can see the seams at times when it's that <laughs> bad. You're like, oh, I see how they did that, and uh, they could have done that differently. And And it's funny because... It's it's turned us all into armchair judges when we see stuff. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, seriously, I, I've seen guys fresh out of school apply age makeup than this. <laughs> like, there's no reason why they couldn't have been made to look a little bit older. And so that was, and, and, and then again, Wolverine, the only guy that can't age is the one that they put some white hairs on. And he also somehow got his metal claws back. What do you mean he got him back? Well, he had he lost him in the second Wolverine movie. And then at the end of the second Wolverine movie is when Xavier and Magneto show up to recruit him. 
He didn't lose him at the end yeah. of the second. Remember that he had the adamantium chopped off? What? Yes, at the in the second Wolverine movie when he's fighting the Silver Samurai, the Silver Samurai cuts off his adamantium claws. And they grow back later oh, as bone right. claws. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I thought you meant all of his adamantium. No, no, right. just, just his claws. claws, yeah. Ah, I, yeah. <laughs> Although I did think it was cool that... I said, I'm allowed, I'll allow any number of minor mistakes, but the big watch the other out. movies at some point if you're supposed to be doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did find it cool that they went back to the bone skeleton and the bone mm-hmm. claws and stuff like that. It was 100% worth it just for the metal detector gag. Yeah. Well, not just that, but the look on his face the first time he pops out too. <laughs> and, and remembering, I, there was a bunch of little things like that that were, were worth it. Uh, in terms of performances throughout, you really don't get much from the future slash present X-Men because you would think you'd have a lot of great moments with with Patrick Stewart, which there's a couple that are good. But overall, I mean, you barely see that crew. And when you see them, they're either huddled over Wolverine and it's like everybody's concentrating or you're seeing the Warpath and crew outside guarding. And then when there's a fight, well, there's just the fight. And yeah, the fights are and dying. <laughs> cool but i mean yeah you see colossus ripped in half that's the highlight there so you're not that that is the one nice callback to the original comic series because remember in the original comic series everybody dies at the end in the future so and it's just a cool thing that you know like we're like when we talk about like the what if comics or whatever the great thing about an alternate timeline is nobody's safe (laughs) i love it yeah the the one thing that i have said in terms of the performances for the actors in the the future is, and I joked about it on, on Come Book Informer, is that it's almost as if Ian McKellen forgot that he was supposed to be playing Magneto and went back to his Gandalf style of acting because there was too much Gandalf and not enough Magneto there. He was not a badass mutant that had spent his life fighting for mutants. He was beaten and and... And maybe that's what Singer was hoping for, is yeah. to make him look like he'd been beaten by years of war. But this is, again, the callback then to the comics, sir. Anybody who's read the comics knows <laughs> Magneto's been fighting already for years, and he's still badass. <laughs> There's nothing that slows this guy down. And you are not going to make him look like a beat-up Gandalf. That's just never going to happen. So I kind of was pretty disappointed in that overall yeah like it was missing like one or two lines of dialogue at the least where you know his spirit's not in anymore you know he you know his heart isn't in the fight he's seen too much he's lost too many people something to that effect i would have bought the performance a little better but with nothing to go on yeah it was a bit of a a jarring transition yeah even then i wouldn't have bought it either even if I, I would have accepted to, it though yeah yeah okay because, uh, because like you said i i can see that singer and mckellen might have been going for a particular performance but without any story reasoning to base that particular performance off of it doesn't work not at all not at all and then halle berry may as well have called in their performance i she was so completely wasn't any worse than the last three movies she was it was completely forgettable like i mean entirely forgettable i 
I don't see the point of having her there except to spend money on special lightning effects because otherwise there's just there's no reason. Mm-hmm. The um, Jennifer Lawrence's performance was interesting because it's a stark contrast to the mystique that they set up in their own movies, mm-hmm. not to mention the mystique from the comic books. But it, it really kind of, again, you can see how they are trying to keep her as the mystique from the first class and less of original X1 and X2 mystique kind of thing. And it was fine, but... Mystique does actually play a large role in the comic book event. And she is badass. And I think that for something of this weight, something of this importance, I think that we needed more of X1, X2 Mystique and a Mm -hmm. lot less of Jennifer Lawrence wishy-washing about back and forth. Yeah, like I could see at certain points she was really trying to be, you know, like the emotionally detached, you know, assassin type character. And I just don't know if that's a role that Jennifer Lawrence is really in line for. Like she's just naturally charismatic and has personality. It takes a good amount of skill to portray no emotion. It take it might take more skill to do that than it would to be just a normal character. Yeah. And it, it just it it didn't quite ring true for me. Yeah, it, and that's the thing too. I think that if you had not read the comic books and and X one and two were far enough in your memory to get yeah. in that you can roll with this, maybe you would have been all right with it. As I said, I'd, I'd forgotten how great Rebecca Romaine was until we rewatched those movies recently. Yeah, and that character I think would have been insanely good in this story, not. Jennifer Lawrence. So, but again, that's that's a that's a minor issue that I had. Uh, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender were fantastic in their roles. I had mm-hmm. absolutely no complaints whatsoever. Nicholas Holt as Hank, I he was fantastic. He I, was, I want to go back to to Fassbender real quick though, because the scene in the airplane where he's arguing, I forget who he's no, it's what he's arguing with uh, Xavier at the time. Where he's just like freaking out and his powers are going nuts. Yeah. With his like facial expressions, his tone of voice, he – I believed he would grow up to be Ian McKellen. Yeah. Like he nailed that performance, especially in that scene. Yeah. No, he was fantastic. I I liked all of those. And again, Hank was really quite good. I enjoyed him a lot. I love uh, Peter Dinklage as Boulevard Trask. <laughs> that was – that was a stroke of genius casting him. I I thought that was fantastic. The only problem is I wanted more. Yeah, like lots more of him. He's such a great actor. They could have just let him go off. And they like, the script and the story were just holding him back from being as awesome as we know he can be. Yeah. And according to, to, uh, to Peter, he said that singer – Point blank picked him to play Trask because of his height, because it's a type of, you know, mutism kind of thing mm-hmm. for someone who's different from everybody else and, and whatnot. So I, what did he say? I got the quote here. Yeah, with my dwarfism, I'm a bit of a mutant. I can't move metal or anything, but thought of it as self-loathing. Deep down, Trask is quite sensitive about that aspect of himself. 
It's mm-hmm. again, I would have loved to have seen a lot more of him in this. He's actually not even in the original story because by then he's dead. But what a phenomenal character. And then, of course, we have to talk about <laughs> who I think and a lot of other people think stole the freaking show and that going into it, I thought he was going to be the worst part of it. And that's Quicksilver. Evan Peters <laughs> took this. The The Quicksilver thing is interesting because Quicksilver is the first character now and it's Pietro uh, Maximoff, the first character that Marvel and Fox are actually sharing. They have an agreement in place so that he could be in Days of Future Past, but he's actually going to be in the next Avengers as well. The same character name, but by no stretch the same character. But it's going to be the same character. He's going to have the same powers. They're just not going to mention that he's a mutant in Avengers. Yeah, completely different origins, completely and different backstory. No yeah. uh, different actor to, to separate it. But it well, is, they did actually have to have a separate contract just for mm-hmm. Quicksilver to be in both of them. I thought that was kind of cool myself. What's actually really funny, and this is pointing out uh, another thing that people complain about, like Quicksilver was so awesome in his bits of the movie people are like well why didn't they just bring him along <laughs> that might have been kind of useful because he was actually originally supposed to have a much smaller part in this movie and then you know the whole marvel thing and you know joss whedon said i want him in avengers so basically to boost their profile uh brian singer and fox in- expanded his role in days of future past just so that they could kind of wave that character around as much as Marvel is. Well, see, but he still didn't fit into the overall storyline, so that's why he had to stay at home. See, and that's one of those things that doesn't fit either. It's if if you're going to bring him in, if you're going to make him that freaking awesome, then keep him around. The mm-hmm. point where they tell him to leave feels so completely tacked on that it it grinds which is ironic considering who you're dealing with it grinds the story to a halt and it's like they they wouldn't do that it doesn't make sense especially when you see how useful he is single-handedly taking down all of these fbi agents so it doesn't make sense. But again, it's too bad. Part of it, I'm quite certain, is also it's just money. It's always about money. How much those effects must have cost. Um, they, they, the, the scenes with him, they said, were filmed at 3,600 frames per second <laughs> to make it look like he was moving 150 times faster than normal, which I think is awesome. So Again, though, how is he listening to music? Seriously? It's just one of those things that really bothered me. Did How it really? Listening to the music. I did not even think of that. It, completely ignoring the fact that, you know, portable cassette players weren't all that, you know, possible in 1973. <laughs> but, you know, if it all happened in less than a second, he only would have heard a couple notes. <sighs> Why did you have to ruin that scene for, for me? On the screen, I liked it. <laughs> We don't know that that's what he was listening to. Because really... Well, what was he listening to then? Something else that was on Fast Forward. Oh, that's what it is. He is listening to Time in a Bottle, but he's got it on Fast Forward. What you didn't see, but I picked up, was there was a <laughs> piece of duct tape that was holding down the Fast Forward and Play button 
on loop so that I'll t- everything was I'll tell always you what, going Roger, you can use your fancy audio equipment. Play a tape at that speed and let me know what's left of it. <laughs> that is what happened. It was <laughs> taped down so that you could hear it. Anyways, where, where I could also point out that, you know, the Pong machine shouldn't be running faster either. You're going to ruin every single scene it's, he was in, aren't just, you? Just because I said saying. I liked it. There were it. so many things about the movie that bothered me. And I want to point them out to show that, yes, a lot of it, a lot of this movie I had problems with, but ultimately it didn't matter. See, that scene there is one of those where I don't care. I don't care if it makes so sense I, or I not. I didn't care because the, it, it was freaking brilliant. It was so freaking good. Because this, I just this is something it. we've said, any number of other people said. Nobody likes Quicksilver. You know, he's insufferable. He's arrogant. He's an asshole. But if you play that character, I mean, I can't, I can't fault you for playing the character the way he's supposed to be. And there, there's characters you're just not supposed to like, despite the fact they're important to the story. And yeah, they pulled it off. Yeah, they pulled it off damn well. Which makes me very interested now for what Whedon's going to do with his Quicksilver. Because... I mean, it's it's very easy to go the asshole route because that's what's in the comic books and put that. Or is he going to see how much more successful this type of Quicksilver was and do more of that? I'm very curious to see what he's going to do. Not sure about what Whedon's going to do, but judging from what I saw from him in uh, Godzilla a couple weeks ago, uh, yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson is nowhere near as good of an actor as Evan Peters is. Yeah. Yeah, but Godzilla as a whole, from what I've heard, had some issues. The biggest issue was Aaron Taylor Jones. <laughs> <laughs> he dragged down that entire movie. All right. Well, that's a discussion for another That's day. a completely different discussion. True. So um, other issues that we had with the movie. I know that for me, one of them was Wolverine's convenient panic attack, which allowed both Mystique and Magneto to get away. I can appreciate the him kind of wigging out when he sees uh, what's his face, um, Striker. Yeah, Striker. I can believe that, but then it's leading to this panic attack that is conveniently long enough to for everybody to get away, and then for the gag of forgetting who he is and who everybody else is. I thought that was forced and was absolutely terrible. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to complain. Or I'm not going to disagree, actually. But it's balanced out by how unexpected it was with the actual plot in that scene of Magneto turning on Mystique. I could buy that, though. That, I, that yeah, was... it, it, once it happened, I went, oh, yeah, of course. But it was not something I had even like considered as a possibility for a direction of the plot to go. Uh, see, I kind of did the moment he was there, and it... For me, it was the throwback. I figured he was just going to kill Trask and be done with it. As long as, oh, as, long as Mystique's safe, everybody's fine. No, I, again, because he knew that it was her DNA that they were after, mm-hmm. that it would never be safe unless she was killed. Granted, you're going to kill her and do what with her body then because it can still get to her. But uh, but no, Magnets. to me, it was the, the throwback to X2 where mm-hmm. she gets changed and he just walks away from her. So X2 for him, it's again. that. What's that? That was actually the third one, but yeah. Was it the th- Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But anyways, yeah, so it was it's easy for him to turn off that emotional tie to anyone. So I, I could see that happening. Other than that, 
the story is fairly safe in terms mm-hmm. of what you're expecting, even if you've not even read the comic book series or event, I should say once again, but it's fairly safe. You know where the story is going for the most part, especially because it is a time travel story. So, I mean, there's going to be influences from the Terminator movies and whatnot, because point blank singer consulted with James Cameron (laughs) before filming to get some tips on filming a movie that involves time travel and discussing alternate universes and and, and things like that. I I love that they discuss string string theory. (laughs) I I wonder if that's kind of the, the, the nod there where obviously it wasn't a side effect of the time travel, but the fact that Wolverine woke up naked. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> a throwback to Terminator. Yeah, we didn't need that full back shot. I already some know he's in good did. shape. Some, some I could have done without it. But, I could have uh, done without it. I, I, many, pe- many people in the theater were, were grateful for it. I already feel bad enough about how I <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> oh my God. From how the waist up, I feel bad enough. <laughs> okay, that seen that, you're going like, oh, well, that's just not fair. He's just showing off now. It's like, <laughs> okay, Hugh, you're in good shape. You get it. You don't need to go that far. <laughs> Next X-Men title, he's swinging everything. <laughs> he's just ripped to shit in this movie. My God. One of the reviews I read was talking about that, how that vein in his arm <laughs> is no longer impressive. Now it's a cause for concern. That's not natural. There's something wrong with him. <laughs> but I, overall, I liked the way they handled the going back to 73 in the back of time. Now, the other point of interest slash contention with some people is how they incorporated real life events, most notably, of course, the death of JFK and the reveal that he was actually a mutant as well. This is something that they've done in other X titles as well as in the comic books where they kind of tie in some of what's going in on in real life, although this was a lot more direct to the point of actually having, you know, Nixon in the movie and stuff like that. So, and, and talking to the, the bullet that only Magneto could do that and all of that stuff. How do you feel about when they, about that, how they, they handled that? Given the, the actual, you know, fact of the way JFK was shot and, you know, the bullets and obviously all the the theories that go along with how that particular trajectory could have happened. The fact that it was Magneto, I, I actually found funny. Like I, I was okay with it because it took something that in actual history doesn't make sense, but you put it into this fantasy universe and it actually does start to make sense. Okay. Uh, yeah. I see. We had seen some of this with um, first class, especially where you got the scenes with-, yeah, with the, with the Cuban missile crisis. That was a bit, that was a bit more heavy-handed. I, that was the, that was the central plot point of the movie. Exactly. Basically. With this, this was just you know a background fact, and I, I was it, it worked for me. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't because it played right into the part that Tricky Dick had in wanting to wipe out all the mutants. So it's still the politics were still fairly strong, but it allowed them to have the freaking badass scene of the stadium dropped on the White House lawn. Okay. So, I mean, it all worked together. I, I find it. When was the last time you saw somebody float a baseball stadium across the city? (laughs) The, um, 
I, I find that you have to be fairly careful when you start having actors portraying um, mm-hmm. historical figures of such renown. So here they didn't have anyone playing JFK, and I think that was a very wise move. It's all right. talked about. The moment, like all being talked about, I was all right with. The moment you've got Tricky Dick on the screen, then you're dissecting his performance. And you're not as involved in the story. You're sucked in because you're inevitably comparing him to your memories of what Richard Nixon was, who he was kind of thing. So that to me is the the fine balance there. And for me, as much as I was sucked in and I was enjoying the movie, the moment Nixon got in, I was dissecting the performance. So it's it's a, you know, I enjoyed everything up until then. And I did enjoy the magic bullet thing, and, and even the he was one of us thing. Yeah, I, was, I thought that the, was a nice little jab. Yeah, I thought those were all good. It was just the moment Nixon came in, it was like ah crap. So not that he did a bad Nixon, but but that's what it was for me. Well, given that I wasn't around, you know, when Nixon was in the White House, mo- most of my knowledge uh, of the man is based on fictional portrayals. So. It, it, it's one of those you know, timeline things. So Okay. Other than that, though, we've got, again, we've got the Magneto getting busted out, the scenes with the stadium and all that. The story moves fast enough that it progresses through to the conclusions where it's a lot more about moral choices and less about actual action that's again somewhere where you're walking a pretty fine line because up until then you've got like these huge action moments which are what defines the outcomes of a scene leading to once xavier's got his powers back and he's able to at the flick of a switch of his brain stop someone from doing it but he'd rather they decide to stop it instead and i can appreciate how the, the in, within the, con- the the confines of the story, it's done in such a way so that you don't have to worry about them coming to the same conclusion later on in life if you stop them and just them doing it anyway. You'd rather they choose not to do it and then never go back to it. But again, it's a it's it's a hard line to write because as the viewer, inevitably you're always like, well, why doesn't he just stop her? And I feel that it wasn't done well enough. And partially it's because of who he's dealing with, with Mystique, for mm-hmm. the most part, and with with uh, Eric. I don't, I don't think it was handled well enough that it should have been left to them kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, from a story standpoint, I agree with it more for Mystique than Magneto, obviously. It's just, again, like, again, the performance on Mystique didn't quite hit home for me. So I think, you know, if if I'd enjoyed the portrayal of Mystique more overall, it might have worked a little better, but I, I can definitely see where you're going there. Yeah. Well, again, like, I mean, dude just took Stadium across town, dropped it in, brought... Someone's got to put that back now. Yeah, brought the freaking <laughs> safety room up through the floor and was going to kill them all and yet Xavier just lets him walk fly away so you're like mm, you know what 
<laughs> Maybe not. Maybe he actually does deserve that little prison cell. Which even my son was like, if he can move bridges and move towns and stuff, <laughs> how come he can't get metal down to that where he is in the prison? And I was like, just don't just trust me. You're on the right track, but we're going to let that one go. Yeah. Logic, remember, has no place here whatsoever. Because comic books. Yeah. So, I mean, again, those are are the issues, the main issues that I had. Uh, There there were a few throughout with the little continuity things or, or the things that just point blank didn't make sense whatsoever. But... For me, as much as I enjoyed it, which I did, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed this a lot, and I'm Everything looking forward that to worked worked, worked so well. Yeah, like it it overshadowed any doubts. But for me, it was the the payoff as well, because I mean, the payoff of of seeing that stadium on the White House lawn is huge, and it is exceptionally well done. But then the real payoff is how they wrap the story up afterward. Mm-hmm. And that's not even talking about the alternate present that who knows if they're planning on building on that now. If it's going to be this, again, like you were saying, the Star Trek reboot. And that's why Scott and Gene are back. I don't know if that's what they're going to be running with now. I I don't like... James Marston, okay? (laughs) Because for weeks leading up to the movie, he kept pretending that he wasn't in it. I read interviews where he said he was available, but Fox never called him. And that if they wanted him in a future movie, he would jump back into the role of Cyclops in a heartbeat. So I was the most surprised person in the room (laughs) when he showed up at the end of the movie. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Again, the, for me, the payoff was way too wishy-washy overall, both in terms of what occurs in 73, again, with Magne- or with uh, Xavier pretty much letting everybody go and who cares about consequences for slaughtering that many people. And then the present, well, it's not the present, it's still 10 years from now, where... Gene and Cyclops are alive and well with everybody else. And yeah, I don't know where I like it's it's obvious they couldn't have just done gone back to, you know, before X3. <laughs> We're rebooting at that point. So it's obvious that they wouldn't have done that. But I don't know. It seems again way too wrapped up in a pretty pink bow for me and having spent decades reading X-Men titles nothing is ever tied up in a pretty pink bow when it comes to the X-Men from a storytelling standpoint I can agree but on the other hand the movies were so jacked up not just quality wise but flat out didn't make sense within their own continuity that if they want to continue making X-Men movies, and obviously they are, I'm perfectly okay from a logistical and movie-making point of view of them hitting that big red button and going, okay, we screwed up, we're aware of it, this is the best we can do to fix it, we're going to move forward in a positive way. Hey, if J.J. Abrams can do it, we can. 
<laughs> there you go. And and like you're saying, I am all right with that as well. If the next X-Men title now completely ignores everything bad that happened before and this is the new continuity, which I mean they basically from what little you see, it's a clean slate. So it's they could do whatever the hell they want and just don't be killing everybody off. I'm actually so. really interested to see what they're going to do with the next movie now. Because, of course, you saw the uh, the post credit scene, right? No, I didn't. We took off. Oh, oh. okay. Well, allow me to uh, regale you with the tale of the post credit scene. They're in a desert with a, a cloaked figure on top they of a who? dune. They, the camera. Okay. Okay. And you see... It's like the, the scene out of Indiana Jones or Stargate. Yeah, this, it's exactly like the scene out of Stargate, actually, where you have all of the Egyptian slaves bowing down and chanting En Sabah Nur. And you see the figure in the cloak is telekinetically building the Great Pyramid in Egypt. And as the camera pans around, you see he has a pale face with blue markings and four horsemen standing behind him. What am I missing? Who is that? It's Apocalypse. Oh, okay. So they've already confirmed the next movie is called Oh, Age Apocalypse. of Apocalypse. That's right. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yes. And oh, I knew the four horsemen of the Apocalypse, but I'm going, well, what does a, a pale face? I'm trying to place who that yeah. is. And, and Sabah Nur was his original name when he was living in ancient Egypt. Oh, you're going back now. I haven't read those yeah. in forever. So, Well, that, this is how much of a nerd I am. Sorry, Roger. <laughs> but because as far as I know, the first class actors are still signed for one more movie. But, you know, what's the point of resetting everything in the future if you're not also going to use those actors? But given the fact that it's an apocalypse story, I'm wondering if, you know, it could be something like starting, you know, in the 80s with Xavier and Magneto then and then theoretically defeating him only for him to pop back up in the future again. I think that could be a pretty damn cool story to to still use the two eras of X-Men if you still have them all under contract. Well, I, I would be all for that. I think that people accept it enough now after all of the movies and especially this and showing how much money and success it's had. The people are accepting of these two timelines working together kind of thing. These mm-hmm. two groups in the different timelines, I should say. So, yeah, that could work. That it, sounds interesting. It, it's one of those things where I know absolutely nothing about the movie, but based on the strength of this one and – the possibilities of what they could do, I'm already excited for. Yeah, I had heard that it was going to be Age of Apocalypse that was next, so that I was excited to see what they would do with that as well. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, we're going to have Age of Apocalypse. Was okay. See, I'm trying to remember when don't. that was as well because I it was the 90s. Was so don't. So was Gene around? Was Phoenix around at the time? Well, Age of Apocalypse, the actual comic storyline, Age of Apocalypse, was an alternate future. Like it had no tie-in oh, okay. with with the normal canonical comics. Man, it's been a long time since I read that. Long where where, time. where the uh, what they did with the Age of Apocalypse storyline was Legion, who we know as uh, Xavier's son, went back in time to kill Magneto and accidentally killed Xavier instead. So the X Men weren't around to stop Apocalypse when he showed back up again. So it was a completely different timeline that didn't have anything to do with the the normal comics, hmm. and it was the nineties. So. It's, it is what it is. <laughs> Although that being said, too, Jean from the future at the end of this movie did not look to have a lot of Phoenix in her. 
Mm-hmm. So who the hell knows what happened there? And, and it is worth pointing out that even though they originally said Age of Apocalypse, now they're just calling it X-Men Apocalypse. Right. So I don't think it's going to have much to do with the actual Age of Apocalypse specific storyline, but rather just you know all the other cool stuff we've seen with that villain over the years. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Any parting thoughts? Uh, I'm just, I'm so surprised because if you go back and listen to you know Comic Book Informer, I was bashing on this movie pretty hard when I first heard about it. And even then, that first trailer was like, it didn't instill a lot of hope. But it's so cool. Like, for me personally, the closer we got to the movie and the more we learned and the more we saw, the more excited I got for it. So I just have to really tip my hat to Fox for doing a great job of making a movie and marketing it in a, in a pretty good way to get a lot of butts and seats. What's funny is that as with all movies or comic book events or things like that, I'm always left wondering how much better it could have been had they followed canon, had they not had such massive plot holes at point at different points and things like that. Because as good as this was and as as well reviewed as it has been, can you imagine had those few plot holes been filled up so that you you know you could appreciate it and remain sunk in as you're watching it a lot more. Oh, we'd know? be holding it up alongside Avengers and Dark Knight without a doubt. So yeah, it's had they just spent an extra second or two so that you could clearly see the tape over that fast forward. That would have made all the difference right there. So whoever edited this film, you cut it too it's, it's soon. It's going to be on the Blu-ray. It, yeah, it better be. Extended scenes, one extra second. <laughs> All right, with that, we're going to wrap it up. So you can find the show notes at Popcorn Rowan, and we will be back in a couple of weeks. And I have an idea of what we're going to do, but first I have to check with Vince if he's watched them all. So it should be awesome if he has. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. I get a there's a lot of viewing in my future? <laughs> Probably not. TV and anime reviews, please make sure to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their Comic Book Informer podcast and Internet Dragons TV gaming videos. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, manellijamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Mm-hmm.